Our second lesson today is taken from the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 23, verses 1 through 12. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. Therefore do whatever they teach you and follow it, but do not do as they do, for they do not practice what they teach. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on the shoulders of others, but they themselves are unwilling to lift a finger to move them. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. They love to have the place of honor at banquets and the best seats in the synagogues, and to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces, and to have people call them rabbi. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all students. And call no one your father on earth, for you have one father, the one in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant, and all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Well, one of the things I've talked about the past few weeks is the, the fact that we are in this continuing narrative. We're on a, a portion of the lectionary where we're kind of on a straight shot through these last few chapters of the Gospel of, of Matthew. And one of the things about reading the Bible is understanding the context and, and taking things in order. The more you chop up the Bible into small chunks, the easier it is to lose track of what a particular piece means. It's really easy to take a verse out of context. It's really easy to take a story out of context. And we understand stories very often by how they relate to what has come before or what comes after them. We kind of need to have this as an understanding. Now, Jesus this week is challenging the practices of religious leaders, and he makes a reference to something that's a little bit divorced from our practice because we don't do it. And he talks about the religious leaders and says, you know, they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. Now, I would challenge you to consider when is the last time you used the word phylactery? Right? And um, it, it is something that still exists. I'll show you a picture in Orthodox Judaism. What you see a man standing there, and the box that is on his head is a phylactery. And so um, that box is there, and it's bound by a leather strap, and you see him tying a leather strap around his arm. And so this is something that still happens in Orthodox Judaism. Obviously, this is not a picture from 2,000 years ago. This is a, a picture from modern times. And what they are doing is literally implementing instruction from the book of Deuteronomy. So in Deuteronomy chapter 6, you'll see these words. It says, keep these words that I am commanding. Keep these words. And then it says, fix them as an emblem on your forehead. And so they said, great, this is what it says. We're going to do this. And so inside that box is scripture that has been written down. So there's, there's, a, a, there's a piece of parchment with the scripture on it, and they put it on their foreheads because they are literally doing what this verse says. Now, how does this tie into the stuff we've been talking about? This verse begins with that phrase, keep these words. Which words? Which words are they talking about? And if you were here last week, and if you weren't, I encourage you to go online, go to our website. You can watch the message from last week. 
Last week, which is just the verses right before the story, Jesus is answering the question, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus quotes the verse that's right before this one. So keep these words as Deuteronomy 6.6. Deuteronomy 6.5 is, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Those are the words. Keep these words as an emblem on your forehead. And so they have it written down, put it in a box, tie the box to their head. Literal implementation of this instruction. So that's what they're doing, and that's what they're tying into last week's passage. So Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? He gives this answer, and then he says, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And then he goes on to say, but the people who've been teaching you this have a problem. And the problem is they do not practice what they teach. Now, what is Jesus saying when they do not practice what they teach? Well, are they not doing the things they said to do? No, no, no. You see the man standing there. He's putting the box on his forehead. He's putting the phylactery there. He's doing it. When the Pharisees said, oh, Jesus, you need to be wa- your disciples aren't washing their hands before they eat. Are they not washing their hands? No, of course not. They are doing the ritual washing where the law requires that they bring and uh, that they attend temple at certain days and bring an offering of a certain kind. They are doing it. So this issue of they do not practice what they teach is a little step back from the literal execution of the commands they are teaching. See, what they aren't doing is loving properly. When it says, love the Lord your God, that's what they aren't practicing. And he explains how they're not practicing it. So as they tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, they lay them on the shoulders of others, and then they themselves are unwilling to lift a finger to move them. That's how they're failing to love. They're not lifting burdens. And love means lifting burdens from others. If you're going to love, you lift burdens. Now I want to talk for a second about what burdens are and what they aren't. You see, there's often a misinterpretation of this verse, and it happens a lot in churches. We don't want to put burdens on people. So we're going to have no standards. We don't want to put burdens on people. So we're going to ask nothing. That is not what burdens are. See, obligations are not burdens. A term paper is not a burden on a student. Bringing food to your table is not a burden on a waiter. Tithing is not a burden on a Christian. Obligations are not burdens. These are things that you accept. Burdens are hardships. And here's where we run into what Jesus has been facing during his ministry. Remember the kinds of things that Jesus was criticized for. 
He was criticized for doing things like healing people on the Sabbath. That is lifting a burden. A, a, a person can't walk properly or a person can't see or whatever it is that their ailment is, and Jesus lifts that burden. Feeding people is lifting a burden. Eating with outcasts is lifting the burden of being ostracized off of people. Those are burdens. To be an outcast, to be ill, to, to, to be hungry. These are burdens. And we're called to lift those burdens. And the problem in that time was the prevailing theology that said that when you have this burden in your life, your fault. That when you have this burden in your life, you must have done something. You're being punished. This is happening to you because of something that you did in your life. And that theology is still around in different quarters. Certain parts of Christianity where people will sit there, something bad will happen, and they'll say, where's the sin in your life? And my answer is always, well, I know there's a lot of sin in my life, but you just showed me yours. By having that attitude towards someone else's suffering. And here's why this is such a hard thing. Because if you believe that God is visiting a punishment upon someone for something they did. Then you know what? It would even be wrong to help. See, if God decides, you know what, you did something, and so I'm going to punish you for that, who am I to get in the way of that? Who am I? To, make, to, to interfere with God's attempt to punish you. I mean, it, it's kind of like, uh, you, you know, if you, if you ground your kid and then someone sneaks, in, sneaks them out of their room, right? You know, what have they done? So, so if I believe that, that you've done something to earn God's punishment and this is why you're experiencing the hardship, I not only don't have an obligation to help you, I actually have an obligation not to. And when you start to have that theology, you start to have people believe that God wanted them to suffer. And when people start to believe that God wanted them to suffer, it's really hard to believe that God loves them. When you start to believe that, that you deserve to be an outcast, it's hard to believe that God loves you. And we exist to deliver the opposite message. We exist to deliver the message into someone's life that when something is going wrong, when things are hard, when you're experiencing a hardship, when you're feeling like an outcast, God loves you. God is with you. When, you, when you're sitting there thinking that I don't know where there's any hope left in my life, There is in faith. There's always hope. You don't give up. And in fact, that's the basis 
on which we can be doing a lot of inviting of people into faith. You know, one of the hardest things to get people to do is invite people to church. I, I mean, you look at the history of the last 50 years, I think it was easier for people to invite folks into Amway <laughs> than it was to get them to, to invite them to church. When you talk to people about that, the answer you usually get is kind of interesting. They often give you an answer that's something like, oh, yeah, sure. If somebody were to come up to me and say, I am looking for a church, I'll invite them. Guess how often that happens. But there's a far simpler thing. The time to invite someone. Here's your cue. It's when someone talks to you about how hard their life is. When someone talks to you and you say, how's it going? And their answer is that they feel like they're drowning. They feel overwhelmed. They feel like hope is fading, dying in their lives. There are so many things pulling on them. They don't know how to move forward. When you hear that, that's actually your cue to mention. Have you thought about faith? Have you thought about church? That's when you talk about the fact that, that you have knowledge, belief in a God who cares about their plight. That you have knowledge of a, of a faith system that might help them organize the stresses on them by putting their priorities in the, in the right order. See, a lot of people don't associate church or Christian faith with the, with the idea that it can be something that helps you through hard times because that may not be what they've experienced. They may have experienced in their life faith that is centered around judgment. Faith that is centered around criticism. Faith that is centered around saying that when stuff is happening to you, that's exactly what God decided to visit upon you. And if you've been told that, if you've experienced that, why in your darkest moments would you then turn to faith? Like, oh, that's the last thing I need to hear. I'm a, my life's a mess right now. And the last thing I need is to go to a place where they're going to tell me that it was my fault and God wanted it to be that way. A lot of people have either experienced that or believe that that is what they would experience. And yet, that is exactly what we're not about. We are exactly about being people who provide help and hope to those who need it. And when we do this, we never know what the effects are going to be. Now, I've always talked about the fact that, you know, my great-grandfather was converted by missionaries. Right? What did that do? Changed my family tree. Right? Whoever, great-grandfather, long since gone to be with the Lord. The missionaries who went to Korea, long since gone to be with the Lord. 
the effect of what they did, still present. That no matter what, no matter how tough things get, I have hope. I have confidence because of what someone did generations ago. This is why we're so concerned about what we do for our kids here. Because when you equip kids with the knowledge that God loves them and God cares about them no matter what, you don't know when the day is going to come that they need it. And maybe, if they're really fortunate, that day doesn't come for them. But maybe it comes for their kids, who will have been taught because of what you taught your kids, that there is a God who loves them and cares for them and will always support them and always be with them and always be on their side. You don't know when it's going to be. But for most people, and certainly in every family, there is a point where someone hits the end of their rope where someone looks around them and sees nothing but darkness. And the light of the gospel is the one light they can look, to, look toward to bring them forward. You never know when that person is going to feel crushed by everything collapsing in on their lives. It seems like it always comes in bunches, right? And when it does that they understand that there is a faith and a community of people who will be willing to lift that burden off them. That's what we do. That's what it means to love God. That's what it means to practice what we teach. Whether it's a truck full of turkeys for the Thanksgiving distribution that we help hand out. There's the food you bring outside, the clothes that got taken over to Jan Hus. All of those things are a function of lifting burdens. And most importantly, letting people know that God wants that burden lifted. It's what we do. It's why we exist. It's why we've always existed. Amen.